Today we have with us Jeff Emmett from the Common Stacks team. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Emmett. That's J-E-F-F-E-M-M-E-T-T. Today we talked a little bit more about bonding curves, specifically augmented bonding curve, the generalized models of bonding curve, as well as the various token engineering and first principles models to think about when it comes to bonding curves. Welcome, Jeff. So I think DeFi is very interesting, but DeFi is also interesting in the way where everyone just goes to DeFi because there is returns to it. And okay. I think whatever CommonSex is doing, whatever like Giveth is doing, whatever we're talking about, all these different kind of systems, is so important because they are the, the basic architectural building blocks before this entire thing can boom. And right now, you know, DeFi is booming and I'm very, very happy for that because we need the kind of mass adoption. But I think we're not at that stage yet where we can just have everyone going to DeFi and forgetting to build the other tech stacks that we yeah. need in the system, right? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's, that's, that's one way of getting people's attention. I mean, I got to the crypto space because I heard, you know, this Ethereum thing was blowing up and I was like, what? And I started looking into it and I was like, oh yeah, it's going up. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll get a bit. And then, you know, and then I got interested and then I started reading and then I was like, oh wow, this can do a lot more than just, you know, make you money. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's getting people's attention, which is good, but yeah, I agree. The whole, the whole yield farming, you know, borrow to lend to borrow to lend, um, doesn't seem to be a sustainable, uh, <laughs> and I mean, this, this is like the, it's the engineering consideration that doesn't, um, you know, factor into DeFi a lot of the time is, you know, we're, we're, we're building these modular components and they're all like stacking on top of each other. But if there's a critical failure down here, it's like a house of cards that all, that all comes down. So it's really like, you know, everyone's building parts, but no one's considering, you know, synthesizing those parts into a whole and understanding the systemic effects or the systemic flaws that are built into some of these components. So there's, it's still a, it's still a risky space for sure, but it's, it's great to see the enthusiasm and, and everything. It's just, I wish it was more for, you know, social impact uh, than it was for personal profits, but it's something. Yeah. That's a good step towards the right mm -hmm. direction. Not exactly mm -hmm. at the direct, at the end point that we're looking at, but it's okay getting there yeah yeah so the last time we spoke you were telling me about um augmented bonding curves and i've seen like huge development in the space so can you just do a, a quick intro on augmented bonding curves again yeah yeah for sure um so and i loved your recording about bonding curves yesterday i think you did a great job going through all the various um you know types and and uh, design space you know we, we look at this sort of like a architecture there's there's a huge design space for for bonding curves and you can add you know mechanisms for different use cases um, and i don't think we've even identified you know half of the use cases um you know it, even today the bonding curve is seen as a financial tool which which it is it's kind of a you know a transparent uh monetary policy tool so you can you know put in a dollar and issue four tokens you know so this is the grassroots economics uh community inclusion currency model uh, where they're working in rural villages in Kenya, where the problem that they have is a lack of liquidity um, in, in rural villages. All of the fiat cash kind of gets siphoned back to the city via the le leaky bucket problem. Um, so what they've realized is if rather than giving fiat money um, in cash voucher assistance, which is kind of the gold standard of, uh, of NGO aid, uh, they issue a local currency. So the Red Cross puts $1 into the bonding curve contract and four tokens come out, each worth a dollar. Actually, it's a Kenyan shilling, but we can call it a dollar just to make it easier. Um, 
and then those Kenyan shillings are, you know, airdropped on, on a community. Um, well, not airdropped there. You know, if you sign up, you get a sign up uh, bonus. If you bring a friend, you get a, a bring a friend bonus. It's a lot of the same kind of, um, uh, you know, policies with signing on to any program. If you use it for two months, the Chama gets another bonus. Um, so you, so you might get, you know, $4 here, $3 there. Um, and then you can transact in this local currency because all the, importantly, all of the businesses, you know, and the local chiefs, um, accept this as, as currency. So it's, it's not just a technical tool. It's not just, here's a bunch of dollars, go use them. Um, it's about the social acceptance of those dollars too. So, um, working within the, you know, the, the community, um, and making sure that everyone agrees that this is a currency and we're or not, it's not a currency, it's a token of value. Um, that they accept for flour or haircuts or anything that that is needed. Um, but the bonding curve really is an interesting tool because it's transparent to the community and transparent to the users what is behind it. You know, and in in our banking system today, that's often not the case. Uh, we we have no idea what's backing our money, um, and that's fine as long as there's the trust that people will accept it. Um, but when you're bootstrapping these these uh, ecosystems from the ground up, you kind of need to uh, establish that trust and having the the collateral transparent on-chain collateral uh, through the bonding curve is really a good way to to do that so yeah there's some really interesting um, developments going on in the in the bonding curve space um, one of which I think almost no one is talking about is like they don't even have to be a financial tool um, I had one one researcher uh, reach out from Australia saying hey could we use this for example to balance um, uploads and downloads in a torrent network so, you know, there's, there's free writing. If you talk about the, the tragedy of the commons, there's free writing all the time on the internet, right? If you want to download a torrent, I'll open my torrent thing, I'll download it, and then I'll, I'll close my torrent. So there's like people download, nobody uploads, right? So there's a few people who are super seeders. They, they upload, upload, upload all the time. And 90% and of the network are just downloading, right? They're just taking, they're not giving back to this network. So what if you said, hey, we're going to implement a bonding curve that says you can only download X amount if you've uploaded Y amount because you're now you're now uh, bonding those two variables in the system together and you all of a sudden solve the free rider problem in, in a BitTorrent network um, that without money. So you don't have to say, you know, leechers pay seeders uh, for their up, up upload time, download time. You just say these two variables are now linked through a bonding curve and you can only download X if you've uploaded Y. Um, so that I think there's so much uh, use for bonding curves that you could uh, go much beyond the financial use case. But we're still, you know, in the early days of this thinking, you know, token goes in, token comes out. Um, and, you know, the whole DeFi craze, this is like a way that we can, uh, you know, the, the new way to generate tokens. So I think there's, there's a lot more out there uh, than we've realized yet. And I think this is going to be a really important tool for a lot of things in the crypto space moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I was looking at, Daiko, so yeah. D-A-I-C-O, and Daiko and, and Augmented Bonding Curve is almost quite similar. The only fact is that with Daiko, you have a form of governance, whereas Augmented Bonding Curve is 100% on-chain governance, and Daiko is a mix of both systems-level governance plus human voting mechanism coming in. Yeah, actually, that's it's funny. I have an article. Uh, I just put the rough draft out to our comms team. It should be coming out hopefully next week, um, talking about the augmented bonding curve as a tool for DICOs. So DICOs are, are sort of the more a more responsible ICO. I think that the terminology actually is like DAO 
plus ICO is a DICO. So you have you know, a, a token issuance mechanism, which in this case would be the bonding curve. Um, and then you have it connected to a DAO where people can make decisions over how those funds are spent. So this is actually the difference between the augmented bonding curve and, and a typical bonding curve. Like the, the bare minimum bonding curve is just a collateral pool. So you put reserve into a smart contract, say DAI, and you get some token out. And that DAI is held in a collateral pool. And it could be one to one, it could be two to one, it could be one to two, it doesn't like it's how you, how you set it up. The difference with the augmented bonding curve is you're creating another pool of funds. So you have the collateral pool, like every bonding curve, but you also have a funding pool. So when you put in DAI, say 50%, and again, this is the design space of the bonding curve, you can set it up however you like, 50% of the DAI goes into the reserve and 50% of the DAI goes into the funding pool. Now the funding pool can be governed you know, through conviction voting or through regular on-chain voting, however you see fit. And that those funds can be used by a project. So now we have a way that investors can give a project money without the project founders just picking up the money and going to the Cayman Islands and never, no one ever hearing from them again, uh, which is, you know, some of the problems we had in the 2017 ICO craze. Now we have sort of a more responsible, accountable fundraising system where some of the funds can go into collateral to give investors peace of mind. If they want to exit this token, there is always collateral. They can always exit. There's liquidity, just like Uniswap or, or Bancor offer today, um, but for that specific token. And there's also this funding pool. So the project's um, interests are aligned with the interests of the investors, with the interests of the users, because now there's sort of some oversight, some like agreement, explicit agreement that the project can use, you know, 30% of the funds um, as long as they're going through the appropriate proposal system, et cetera. And then, you know, the, the investors always have collateral to exit the token if they don't believe in what the team is doing. So it really helps to align the incentives, especially for uh, small projects that don't have a lot of uh, trading volume. In that case, wouldn't the amount being put in will always be less uh, will always be more than the amount taken out because then whenever I put money into the bonding curve, let's say 30% goes into the funding pool, so it'd be funding different projects. And the only way for me to take back the same amount that I put in is for these projects to generate, no, not even to generate some sort of return, for more people to come in. How then can we increase the amount of collaterals that goes into the, the bonding curve so that the bonding curve is not just increasing because people are coming in? And when we're funding these projects, how can we siphon some of the returns to go into the collaterals to be rewarding all these early investors in these collaterals? Exactly. Yeah, so you're right. So as soon as you siphon a portion of those funds off into a funding pool, obviously you're under collateralized. So if everyone sold their tokens tomorrow, the system would collapse, right? There's, not, there's a run on the bank. So the way we protect this with the augmented bonding curve is we give the, the two token or the token two different use cases. So you can redeem the token, you can burn it for your collateral. So sell, selling the token and, and taking a portion of the collateral. Um, but then as more and more people sell, uh, we actually take a, an exit tax on every sell. So every time someone sells the token, there's a little bit of funds going into the funding pool. So this kind of serves as a, a friction. So we don't, we don't want people to leave the system. We want people to stay in the system and, and continue to generate value in whatever way that community does. But if they want to leave, and we understand people have to eat, you know, they've, they've earned these tokens, they now need to sell them so they can buy dinner. Cool, you can sell some tokens or, you know, taking profits. This is like uh, seen as, well, I guess it depends who you're talking to in DeFi, it's wonderful. In the crypto, in the, sorry, crypto common space, 
profits have a bad word, but what if profits also fed the project? So you take, you know, you sell some of your tokens, the exit fee contributes to the funding pool. Now, as more and more and more people sell, there are less and less tokens. So if I'm the last person holding tokens, in a traditional bonding curve, I'm holding the bag, right? I have, I almost get no collateral back when I sell my tokens. But with an augmented bonding curve, the tokens I hold now govern the whole funding pool. So if I'm the last person there, um, my tokens are also good for uh, casting votes over how the funding pool is spent. So the token has two purposes. You can either re uh, redeem it for collateral or you can use it to govern the funding pool. So now there's there's kind of a, a balance of forces. So you have people, when the, when the curve is really high, people want to sell and, and take profits. But when the curve is really low, you can buy uh, a couple of tokens and you can have a lot of governance over this funding pool. And since everyone just exited, the funding pool just filled up. So now there's, there's a reason for people to buy back in to hold those tokens to use that funding pool towards what they see beneficial in this community. And so there's there's like there's a sell pressure, but there's an opposing buy pressure, um, and then there's some volatility between those because that people have different estimations of what this token is worth. So there will always be you know people selling, people buying, and that generates a continuous funding from the collateral pool into the funding pool. So you have kind of this uh, this um, different forces acting on the bonding curve system that create some interesting properties and we're really interested to, to try it out and see how it works. Uh, first of all, in simulation in, in CAD CAD, you know, cause we want to, we want to plug this in and see where does this system fail, right? What haven't we thought of intuitively? Cause these are complex adaptive systems with humans in the loop. So, you know, we don't know the kinds of behaviors that could happen. So we want to run it through agent-based modeling and see how that outcome turns out. So when I, I was looking at your, the CAD CAD, output of uh, augmented bonding curves and the, uh, the output of the simulation always changes. And that's because you, the changes came, comes from the different volatility and the, the buy-sell pressure that's op opposing and pushing each other. Is that why the outcome is always different? Right, so uh, we, we don't have a full CAD-CAD model of the, because um, it's, it's actually quite tricky. You can't just model the bonding curve because the bonding curve is just kind of a, an interface. It's a value interface. It really depends what you're putting the bonding curve on. Um, and when you do agent-based modeling, you have to model all sorts of uh, like agent preferences. And of course, no model is perfect. Um, so we're not, we're not like predicting what's going to happen by any means, but we can use heuristics and say, okay, uh, um, Lisa has this amount of sentiment towards the system and she has this amount of affinity towards these proposals and based on that sentiment and affinity she might take actions like buy more tokens or vote with these tokens or complete a work proposal in this system to earn more tokens so there's kind of there's a lot of um uh you know it, assumptions but of course we can also run these models through parameter sweeps and monte carlo analyses so that we can determine you know are we, are we making assumptions that are reasonable in real life or are these assumptions going to wildly change the outcome of the system? Um, but the, the first step is really building that model. Um, and that's, we, we haven't um, had the, the, um, the time and the budget to put together that full model yet, but that's on our roadmap. It's one of the first things we want to do before we you know, launch these systems and say, hey, this is engineered and robust. We want to make sure that it's been put through kind of simulations and um, and testing and, and parameter sweeps and all that. So that's that's still to come in our roadmap. Very good roadmap. Have you guys tried 
using augmented bonding curves in different projects because I know given this using that, there's also grassroots economics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's a number live right now. Um, Fairmint is on mainnet. Um, they're they're an interesting uh, bonding curve. So, and actually, this goes back to a, a point you mentioned before. Um, how does revenue or like value produced by this community go back into the bonding curve? So, Fairmint has a great uh, interesting model where they uh, committed, I believe, ten percent of their revenue will be put back into the reserve. So, in other words, if you are if you believe in their mission and you buy fares, you now are supporting their mission. They're going to continue doing work and every year they put 10% of revenue into the reserve. So it's kind of like, it's almost like a stock buyback. They're pushing up their reserve, which pushes up the value of the token and investors, early investors can claim back, you know, part of their costs when they sell their tokens. So you can, you can feed that into the revenue pool. Additionally, you could feed revenue into the funding pool. This is something we've talked about in the common stack as well. If a project needs more funding and it's, you know, say uh, we put an augmented bonding curve on a community and they produce some software product and that software product uh, has a subscription model. Great. Subscriptions can just go straight into the funding pool if you want, or subscriptions could go back into the reserve pool or subscriptions could, uh, yeah, like you, the, the design space is, is quite wide on all of this. Um, and actually, one of the things we've been working on lately that um, I can show you a diagram, it's just still pretty work in progress, but we've been working on a, a generalized bonding curve so that we can identify kind of all these different mechanisms, at least all the ones that we've seen so far. So between Fairmint, um, Aragon Fundraising is also live, uh, Grassroots Economics, um, uh, One Hive Gardens. Uh, they're working on a on a bonding curve as well, and each of them have some slightly different mechanisms. You know, they've got the the exit tribute or the exit tax. Some have an entry tax. Um, some have the um, bond to mint uh, and burn to withdraw mechanisms. Actually, maybe I'll just share my screen with you. There we go. So this is just a lucid chart. This is where we do a lot of our um, rough rough. Um, diagramming. Um, so we've identified a list of mechanisms here. So uh, you may have heard of the, the hatch. So this is kind of like the initialization period. We also have like a reverse hatch or a termination period. So if all the community comes together and says, hey, we're over this project, you could uh, have a mechanism like a, a, a quit button or an eject button that, you know, aggregates all the reserve, all the funding pool, all the, uh, and then splits it evenly among token holders. So that could be another mechanism that we haven't really explored yet. Um, we have the bond to mint, we have the burn to withdraw, uh, which is, you know, creating the tokens or, or destroying the tokens. Uh, there's a tap, which is how Aragon fundraising works. So this is basically setting up, like, think of it like a, a tap from the reserve pool to the funding pool. So rather than uh, in the common stack example, funds move from the reserve pool to the funding pool through the exit tribute. But in Aragon fundraising, they might say, hey, 5% every month of the reserve pool can go to the funding pool and fund the project. So that, that that's one mechanism. You could also have a reverse tap going from the funding pool to the reserve if you needed to. Um, you could also have revenue flowing into the funding pool or into the reserve pool, like in the Fairmint case. Um, so I'll just show you uh, the, the diagram here that, that I've been working on, and it is a little messy, um, but you can see a couple of the different mechanisms. So like the typical bonding curve diagram. So here's your uh, supply. So you put in, uh, you 
put in dye into the supply and you can burn uh, out of that. And what happens then is you have the reserve pool and the funding pool. Uh, and this is a little bit overwhelming, but we've got a potential entry fee, which is currently used by One Hive Gardens. We have a potential exit fee, which is uh, in the common stack model. We have the tap going from the reserve to the funding pool. We have a reverse tap going from the funding pool to the reserve pool. So you don't have to have all of these at once. Um, but what we're aiming to do is to have these as almost like a, a checkbox, you know, like what do you want in your system? I need a tap and an entry fee. Okay, then you can just check, check, and there's your model. You can run it through a CAD, CAD simulation, um, and you can use these, you know, repeatable smart contracts that are already audited and so on and so forth. So we just basically want to build tools so people don't have to develop this all from scratch. You know, they can use the, the models that exist, they can use the contracts that exist, and they can build a bonding curve that's suitable to their context. Because a lot of the time, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of experimentation, but I don't think we've seen a lot of, uh, you know, best practices established yet. So this is really um, trying to flesh out all of the different mechanisms that could be involved. And here we have, so this community produces work, so it uses the funding pool to produce software, for example, then maybe it licenses that software or sells subscriptions, and revenue from that can go back into the funding pool, or the revenue can go back into the reserve pool, which is the, which is the Fairmint model. Uh, so we're really experimenting with, you know, how can we define the landscape, the design landscape. So all of these projects that are working on bonding curves can, can be feeding into, you know, a, a, a common pool of knowledge and technology that can be useful to, to multiple other projects in the space that, that could also benefit from uh, bonding curves in, in one of these flavors. This is absolutely beautiful. Would you say, <laughs> would you say that the reserve pool is for amount that is basically collaterals so that when anyone's taking money out, that's where it comes from reserve pools and a funding pool is the project version. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And these will all be modeled in mathematics instead of modeling in curves, because when we're talking about reserve pool, keep increasing and decreasing, then the curve function for all these different amounts of oh, the curve, the curve function will keep changing, right? Right, exactly. So the so the idea behind it, and this is um, a bit a bit. It's not the in-depth mathematics, but what this shows here, uh, the bonding curve invariant, is the mathematical basis for. There's basically an invariant in the bonding curve that says, you know, this law will never be broken. So it's almost like programming in the law of gravity, you know. And we can do engineering uh, because we, you know, at ground level, gravity is effectively constant, right? 9.8. So if gravity was changing every day, we wouldn't be able to build skyscrapers. You know, we, all of our engineering rests on some invariant in electronical, electronics and uh, electrical engineering, sorry, and electronics. Um, we can design this because V equals IR. And we know that V always equals IR. And therefore we can design circuits that rest on that invariant. So we can do now electrical engineering, we can do civil engineering because we have F equals MA, V equals IR. Uh, so these equations here basically define the invariant of the system saying that, you know, a certain amount of supply will always result in a certain amount of uh, reserve. So this invariant can hold throughout the system. And now we can do token engineering and modeling because we are basically plugging the math into CAD-CAD and CAD-CAD is, is running these simulations based on the math. So we're kind of like 
designing our own physics. It's, it's like token physics, actually. Uh, and we can do token engineering off of the token physics. Um, so each of these mechanisms has to be defined mathematically and they have to be consistent mathematically. So this is, this is where the building blocks need to start from in DeFi as well, is they, they need to be mathematically formalized so that you can design them so that they can be truly interoperable with each other. Uh, because if you don't do that, I mean, we, we can just build these components. They're, they're being built, but we don't know, you know the limitations of them. We don't know where they fall off a cliff and fail. Um, and when we start combining them, we open ourselves up to systemic risk uh, when like this big house of cards in in DeFi, and hopefully all goes well. Um, but there's definitely some some danger of you know one of these components breaking and and the whole thing coming down. Um, so the the idea behind the mathematics is really building up that rigorous foundation um, on which the modeling can rest, on which the engineering can rest, and then we can be more certain that at least these systems are designed safely. I absolutely agree. I call them first principles, and I think. First principles, yes. right? And I think first principles are super important in life because first principles are things that are defined not, not by logic, not by any, any anti-science people. It just exists. You can be anti-science, you can be anti-vex, you can be anything you want. First principles will always exist. If you fall down, you will fall down to the ground because of gravity. And that is yeah. exactly what's lacking in a lot of these systems because while it's very good that people are experimenting like crazy, and I love that, they're experimenting with a lot of different models and systems, but they are not robust, they're not sustainable because they're not built upon first principles. But like you right. mentioned, first principles is very difficult to build because you have to make sure that that's robust enough that you can start editing all the engineering things that's being built on top of it. Right, uh, yeah, and, and the mathematics, I mean, we, we can't really expect uh, you know, everyone to come and do this, but we also don't do that you know, with anything else we engineer. Uh, I don't understand the mathematics behind a combustion engine, but I drive a car every day. I don't understand the mathematics behind PageRank or the internet, but I use it every day. You know, but that, that doesn't mean there's no complexity there. It means the technology has been you know, abstracted away from the end user and the, the system designers and the engineers are able to you know, work on that layer and then just put that into a product that is useful to people. And that's ultimately, I think, what bonding curves will be eventually, and, and not yet by any means, but you know, once we can stop talking about bonding curves um, and they can just be in, you know, in the product and the product, you know, just talks about the benefits rather than the mathematics and the curves. And, you know, we're just so early in this technology that it's like talking about the internet in the seventies or eighties, you know, it was something nerds talked about and, and it was neat for them, but no one else really got it or why, you know, but now it's, it's so clear, you know, we've got a smartphone in our pocket and we're connected to all the world's data. Um, but it just wasn't, it wasn't there yet in the seventies or the eighties. And this is, I think where we're at today with, with bonding curves. I think we're at a pretty golden time in, in the, in the future, because this is where everything is being built. Looking at your, your complex structure, the first thing that came into my mind was how insurance could be used in that, that model. Because absolutely that's, like one of the best ways to, to look at insurance because right now we keep talking about insure tech, but insure tech is still trying to streamline all these processes, but not actually trying to increase economic value that this insurance system can bring. And we all know that insurance is not exactly the most, it's, it's not really beneficial to everyone. It's just beneficial to the, the insurer at the top. And that's right. how a lot of people got, got rich, but it doesn't right. contribute. And 
this system or, or this entire, you know, using bonding curve as one of the, the systems, architecture or technological stack, we can really redistribute benefits to everyone in this little insurance ecosystem. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a perfect tool for mutual pooling, uh, which is what insurance was back in the day, right? Before there was an insurance company that's like there to make profits and, and make their shareholders happy, there were 100 farmers uh, or even 10 farmers. And they said, hey, chances are one of our farms is going to burn down this year. Let's all put, you know, 10% of our earnings in a pot and whoever's farm gets burned down is covered, you know? Um, so this was mutual insurance because there was no one uh, extracting profits from that. It was just people pooling funds and covering each other. Great. Um, now, as soon as an insurance company comes in, they're selling a product um, and their incentive is to sell as much as possible and pay out as little as possible and retain the profits to keep their shareholders happy. Well, this doesn't actually serve the end users of the system uh, who get thrown around like ragdolls, you know, trying where the company is basically incentivized to not pay out your claim. Um, compared to a mutual insurance pooling, which could be facilitated through smart contracts and a bonding curve, which which could change the game. Another thing that I was looking, I was thinking about looking at your model is the bonding curve of almost like investing in a talent, because you have the you have the two pools. So you have the reserve pool that goes to supporting the, these this individual. Then you have the funding pool, so you can funding you can be funding stuff like education, college, and these will mm -hmm. be this will be very helpful. In, then again, we're moving towards you know a more neoliberal kind of system where we think that government is just bullshit and we're just going to be supporting each other and be helping each other. But that comes from a very altruistic view where everyone is, in, is, is a good person and no one wants to free ride. I guess this, system, this is where the system comes very handy because it prevents free riders' problems. Yeah, right. It it could be used as a tool to address the free rider problem and also to, I mean, it's funny, government is losing trust worldwide. And I mean, for, for good reason, there are some governments out there that are doing really weird things that the people don't agree with. So, I mean, I don't, I don't blame them for distrusting government, but the, the exact opposite, you know, going to extreme individualism isn't the solution either because you know if we all just maximize for our individual utility we're going to take this planet down with us you know this is what we've been doing in the whole neoliberal era is you know maximize your personal utility and don't care about anyone else um, which actually if you if you think about like humanity as a meta organism and humans as the cells if if every cell maximizes for itself that's that's cancer you know like we we are going to destroy our host organism which which we are doing so it's not um you know government is bad individualism is the way to go it's actually you know trying to figure out some way in between that our current governments are you know limited by the political systems that they operate in which came up with you know 200 250 years ago you know at the same time when uh, bloodletting was an acceptable medical practice. You know, that's when they came up with these political uh, rules, which we still abide by. Um, and, you know, ultimately, politics is is signal processing for the human organism. You know, we, we are um, giving input into a system which can make decisions on behalf of all of us, um, which is which is really important. We're just dealing with completely outdated signal processing systems where you get to put one bit into the system every four years, you know, that's just, it's, it doesn't work anymore. Um, so bonding curves and conviction voting as well could serve as, you know, continuous signal processing systems so that we can have 
uh, overlapping fractal layers of governance. It doesn't have to be you and the federal government. It could be you and your uh, municipal commons and your uh, bioregional commons and, you know, your local commons and your national commons and your global commons. And they can all be like fractally designed inside each other because the bonding curve allows for that transfer of, of tokens, which could represent, you know, skin in the game and money. It could also represent governance. It could represent rights access, you know, who gets to make what decisions. Uh, we can we can really lower the barriers, I think, when we introduce tokenization into these systems. Um, so we don't just have you know, these outdated government structures trying to tell us what to do, because by the time they know what to do, that solution is already irrelevant. You know, it's just these, these hierarchies, hierarchical systems just aren't serving us anymore. So I think these are really important tools for improving the collective sense-making of humanity so that we can address our biggest challenges. Absolutely agree. And I, I really like when you, you mentioned if each individual just optimizes for, for himself, then that's just cancer because it's exactly how cancer cancer works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have you seen um, token bonding cards or bonding cards in general being used in NFTs? Because I've been seeing them used mainly in fungible tokens. Yeah, they're actually, I think it was Billy Rennekamp wrote about the refungible NFT. If you put an NFT on a bonding curve, um, you can basically like fractionalize yeah, there, there is some interesting stuff. I don't know that there has been too much active uh, development of bonding curves for NFTs. I'd have to take a look. Um, but there is, yeah, there's been some interesting stuff like uh, around personal tokens as well, um, which uh, I think is, is similar to what you mentioned, um, you know, personal skills development and so on. Um, but again, like the, I think that having the separation of collateral pool and a reserve uh, sorry, a collateral pool or a reserve pool and the funding pool would be a great addition to um, kind of the the early bonding curves that a lot of these systems are are built on. So I think there's still some some sophistication needed in in a lot of these experiments, and and that's what we aim to provide at the Common Stack uh, and and Block Science CAD CAD. You know, building these models that we can say, hey, here's a model of this type of bonding curve. If you want to change some parameters, you can just tweak them in the model and, and run it and see how it turns out before you engage in, you know, smart contracts and audits and all these other things you need to do. Um, yeah, just to, to bring the space forward into um, easier, easier ways to scale these solutions. So before we end, if there, if there is one advice you can give to these um, economic engineers or token designers, what would be an advice that you would give? I would say we need much more emphasis on the social side, on the cultural side. You know, we we are almost blinded by this tech. And I mean, we're, we're all, you know, tech heads, so we're really interested in it. That's cool. Um, but the the adoption of this tech doesn't just come about because the tech is there, right? You have to build it for community needs. And we've actually heard that from some of our communities. They're like, you know, you guys are talking all theoretical over here, but what? how is this going to be used? How is this useful to me? Um, and stop talking like features of the technology and start talking benefits for the community. And I think identifying those community use cases and how these tools can be used, what, what problems are they solving? That's when people are going to start caring about this technology, um, you know, other than the fact that it's new and it's neat. What problems does it solve in the real world? So my advice would be to, to focus on the community, on your community, um, determine what it is they need, um, and then build safe tools for them to use uh, to, to make their lives better. 
that would be quite tricky because on one hand you have you have two types of projects. You have one project that is using token bonding curves to be building community. And then you have the other type that already has a community and they're building the token bonding curve as just a way to transfer value. So that would be quite tricky if you're going to think community first and you have no community. You just have an idea. Right. And a lot of the time it's bridge building, you know, um, everyone doesn't have to do everything, but the people who are building bonding curves over here need to be talking with the people who will be using bonding curves over here. Um, and and the, the needs of those communities are often quite different. You know, the, the end users aren't, they don't know what bonding curves are. They probably don't want to know what bonding curves are. We shouldn't expect them to know that. So we should be able to build it into a product so that they can use it easily without having to grok, you know, uh, graduate level mathematics and and smart contract code. So um, this this is where the the bridge needs to come in. And I think like people like you are great at this because it's explaining these these concepts, taking it down a few pegs, and explaining like why they're useful and how they're useful. And we need a lot more of that in the space. I think. Thank you. Do you have anything else you want to add? I think that's good on my end. I'm really excited to see where, where research and, and development in this space goes. So yeah, happy to keep in touch and uh, connect you with um, any of the projects that are working on this stuff because I think your um, analysis of these tools is, is really important as well. Thanks a lot for the chat. Thank you so much for sharing, Jeff, especially the generalized bonding curve model. I think that's going to be very useful and very, very helpful for all these projects moving forward, especially it builds the technological stack that is underlying all these different applications and systems innovation that is coming, not just DeFi, but also beyond DeFi. And for all you guys out there, if you're interested in more topics like this, you can sign up to our Patreon for more reports and more deep dive case studies. You can also sign up to our premium Substack to get more details about all of these topics that we have covered. Till then, I'll see you next week. Bye!